Recording live from an undisclosed location, we present to you the Locker Room Guys podcast. Here's your hosts, Lee Schechter and Doug Moore. Hello and welcome to the Locker Room Guys. Doug and I are pumped right now because the NFL season is actually about to start. We're recording this right now, two days before kickoff. You guys will all be listening to this probably right uh, when the game's about to kick off and, and all day Thursday uh, leading up to the big game against the Chiefs. We know the Patriots are going to be prepared for this game and the fans are going to be even more ready with all of those Goodell towels that are going to be flying through the air thanks to uh, the guys over at Barstool. Uh, it's going to be an exciting game because we all know that the Chiefs are a very good team. But before we even get to the Chiefs, I'm going to check in with my man Doug and we're going to jump right into the 53-man roster because we spent all of last week discussing who was going to make this. And Doug, how'd we end up doing? Obviously, we'll talk about it a little bit, but combined with the moves that they made, and also sort of guess, I guess, some of the maneuvering they did. I think they came out well. I mean, granted, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's the Patriots. You know, they, they still have the best roster in all of the NFL. No team is perfect. Um, and they have their spots. They have their positions where they, where they need some help. So, I mean, we can definitely get right into talking about what happened on the 53-man roster. As you and I talked about before, um, there were three really surprise moves that we can talk about. One of them we'll talk a little bit more after. But the first one is Jacob Hollister did, in fact, make the team over James O'Shaughnessy, despite the fact that Hollister really hadn't done much besides uh, week one. In you know, be, be, after his week one performance, he didn't really do much afterwards, which was concerning. And he also played late into game three. Um, he did play in game four, and I guess he did enough to sort of convince the team to keep him their their rookie. Uh, tight undrafted rookie tight end in you know as their number three tight end over James O'Shaughnessy, who they traded for on day three of the draft. What are, what are your thoughts about that, Lee? What what do you think about it? I mean, personally for me, I'll just throw my two cents in there real quick. Actually, I think Hollister offers more of a receiving upside. I think he's a candidate to be one of those guys who is a a, a healthy scratch on game days. I don't think he'll play that much, like we saw with Derby last year. I don't think. He got traded. I'm not saying it's going to happen Hollister, but I just don't think they're going to have three tight ends on game day. But he does offer, I think, a little more upside in the receiving game. I just saw some of the time there. So it'll be interesting to see. What are, you, what are your thoughts about, you know, Hollister making the team over O'Shaughnessy, who then went and got waived and claimed by the Jaguars? So I first have a confession to make, which is that I didn't put Jacob Hollister on my final roster. And I neither, actually neither had, did I. I and I had O'Shaughnessy. But I will yeah. say that I, I did say when I did um, the Patriots, uh, r slash Patriots podcast that Jacob Hollister was the offensive rookie, undrafted um, offensive player, had the best chance of making this roster. And after I made my final 53-man roster, I kind of thought Hollister might be able to get that edge on O'Shaughnessy just based on what this team wanted out of the tight end position right now. And because O'Shaughnessy really didn't offer a ton as a blocker. But what I will say that you brought up when we were talking about before the show uh, we started recording is that O'Shaughnessy had claims on him from six other teams, which makes me think, why didn't the Patriots try to trade him? If they knew there probably was going to be a market for a guy like him, why didn't they try to get, I don't know, a seventh-round pick or even a sixth-round pick for him? Because any of that capital can then be used to then move up and down in the draft and do so many things. And you know the Patriots love to accumulate draft picks. 
So I will say I'm very surprised that one, O'Shaughnessy actually didn't make the roster, and then two, that they didn't get anything for him, and he was one of the most claimed players out there, if not the most claimed player out there on waivers. I believe, I believe he was the most claimed player out there, which, you know, like you said, it, getting something for him is more than what they did get for him, especially considering they did, I think they swapped uh, picks with the Chiefs. I think they got a lower pick, and they gave a, a higher pick to get O'Shaughnessy, like I said, on day three. I remember where I was in the, the press room when the, the trade was announced. So interesting because Nick Casario had a lot of good things to say about him that they've been looking at him from their time, his time at uh, Illinois State. So th- it was interesting. I think they tried to trade him. I, I think the Patriots are smart enough to know that if they tried to trade him uh, or if they tried to, re- to, to waive this type of guy, that some teams would go after him. Maybe no team was interested, and they all thought that they had a good chance of getting him. The other, the other move I'll, I'll bring up is the fact that Ted Karras, who – not saying he's good at all, but I think he was sort of that guy that was expected to be the uh, top interior offensive lineman for uh, for depth, at least the top backup, I should say, was not kept on the team on the 53-man roster. He was signed after to their to the practice squad after he went and got waived, and nobody claimed him. But Cole Croston, a undrafted free agent, off the top of my head, was he from was he from Harvard? He is actually from Iowa. He's an oh, okay. Iowa guy. Okay, so Iowa. Because yeah, I, I got stuck in my head because James Friends was from there as well, but he wasn't an undrafted free agent. But Cole Cross, it's either Crossing or Crossing. He actually won that spot. He was kept on the roster uh, over Ted Karras, who, like I said, was resigned to the practice squad. It's a bit of a surprise. I, I thought Karras was sort of that and shoeing for the role, not saying he was good at it, but he was a shoeing. Any thoughts? Maybe you know a little bit more about Croson than I do, but any, any thoughts about it? I honestly didn't have this anywhere on my radar. I'm pretty uh, darn surprised right now that uh, Croston got the spot over Karras, especially since Karras was on the team last year. And we all know Ted Karras wasn't looking great. Uh, he, he was the guy that both of us viewed as just the insurance for all of the interior positions. And you and I expressed how concerned we were about Karras being the guy behind him. I haven't really paid enough attention to Croston, honestly, to really assess the situation. Uh, and I hope I don't have to assess it. I hope we don't have to see him come in, in all honesty. Yeah, and the thing for me is it doesn't move the needle at all. I'm mm-hmm. still just as concerned, if not more concerned, that because at least Karras was a drafted player last year. Croston was an undrafted free agent. And granted, not saying he's better or worse than Karras, but at least we knew what we got out of Karras. We don't know what we're getting out of Croston. So it really doesn't help at all. And they only retained one interior offensive lineman, too, which makes me still concerned. Maybe they have a lot of faith in their guys, uh, their, their top three interior, uh, Tooney, Andrews, and Mason, and staying healthy. But you never know. You can't con- control who gets injured and who doesn't. Uh, well, honestly, they must have a lot of faith in the offensive line, especially along the interior right now, because David Andrews was just named a captain, and that's coming a long way from being an undrafted free agent rookie out of uh, Georgia as a, as a, uh, in 2015. He beat out an injured Stork a little bit for that starting job as Stork was battling concussions. And then he just took the job and ran away with it and became Brady's trusted guy in the center of that offensive line. So hopefully we don't have to see Croston out there at all. Uh, I think that uh, they are pretty set with their starters. I am still very worried. Uh, maybe Crossing will be a development project, and they like you know a lot of the potential. He's a tough Iowa kid, so maybe that speaks for itself. I'm just looking through overall, just reflecting on our 53-man rosters, and I I think I mean obviously with the trades that happened, 
But overall, we did pretty well. We only missed a couple of guys. I'd say we each got around 48 of the 53, uh, hitting on Adam Butler. Obviously, Marquise Flowers, we landed on those. Uh, the Cyrus Jones injury threw things off a little bit. But overall, I'd say we, we nailed this roster, the Brandon Bolden situation, too. Uh, we both had him on the roster. Obviously, they had to wait because of the Shane McClellan situation because now they have McClellan on uh, IRs so that they can bring him back at some point this year would be our assumption so on I'm gonna that. Cut, I'm going to cut you off here because I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. And there weren't a lot of beat writers who said this either. I, I think one of the biggest differences between myself and yours in regards to our 53-man roster projections, you had three quarterbacks. I had two. I had Joe Jacoby Brissett not making this team, and in a surprise move, and this was before he did really, really well in game four. And I sort of backtracked a little bit. I'll admit it on Friday because I saw him and I thought he did really well, and I thought maybe that solidified it. But in fact, they played him the entire game to showcase him, and then he goes and gets traded, which, again, I don't really think a lot of people expected, even if there was some that expected him not to be on the team. But he got traded to, a, I think, a division, not a division, but a conference rival. He got traded to the Colts. And what's interesting is it was their typical Patriots play for player trade. They got back former first-round player, Philip Dorsett, a wide receiver. Um, and obviously I want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, Philip Dorsett, a really speedy guy, I believe out of Miami. Correct, Miami guy. And he played with James White in high school. That's right, in, in St. Aquinas, I believe it was. St. Thomas Aquinas, yeah. Aquinas, thank you. So interesting because he hadn't really done much going into his third season um, with the Colts, where I think that was one of those failed Ryan Grigson picks. He was clocked. It was a, he's a one-trick pony, basically, who runs go routes, who was on a roster that was built of guys who only run go routes. And yeah. so he got logged in. He got lost. Yeah, he, he got logged in, like you said. And it just – they were trying – Chris Ballard came in trying to get away from those bad contracts, those bad draft picks. And in return to, uh, for giving up Dorsett, he gets an insurance policy behind Scott Tolson um, while Andrew Luck is still out and Jacoby Brissett, who's a, a second-year former third-round pick. There's some upside to him. I've said that all along. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes away from New England and how he does with Indianapolis. But we get Dorsett, who's not going to operate as more than their number four wide receiver, their number five Um you know, depending on where you have Amendola and, and, and Malcolm Mitchell in this in this hierarchy of things. But Dorsett, he's that another fast guy, very fast, very, very fast, who runs outside, just runs straight down the field. You hope it, it maybe expands the field a little bit. You know, it, it makes the defense have to, to sort of give attention to that. I don't expect him doing much, but what's interesting, and I want to get your take on this, he hasn't done much at, at the NFL level when it comes to kick and punt returns. But in college, I looked this up when we got the trade, he's returned 25 kicks and punts each. Not the best of numbers, but he does have experience at Miami doing that. With Cyrus Jones going down, Danny Mendola, the team's not too sure about getting him as a punt returner. What do you think of Dorsett? Do you think he's a guy who actually gets some reps at punt return? I think Dorsett will be getting some reps, especially in practice, to at least figure it out. The Patriots have some, a different situation right now, which is where they have a bunch of guys who have su like low 4-3 speeds. Uh, we're talking guys around 4-3-3. And we're not used to seeing that. The Patriots never really went with that. I mean, Jonathan Jones is insanely fast. Uh, Philip Dorsett, Brandon Cooks, we all know, is ridiculously fast. But in the return game now, with Cyrus Jones going down, who is also pretty fast in his own right, 
Dorsett's really the only option because on the punt returns, like Amendola can go out there. Sure, he's been a little effective. Doesn't really offer the speed that a guy like Dorsett could bring. And I think that his experience in college will come into effect. We also heard uh, Dorsett talking today. He said, hey, I'll do anything that they want me to do. Now, yes, that's the football mantra. Yes, that's the Patriots mantra. But I wouldn't be surprised to see this guy out there because he has so much top-end speed that can just come in handy. And if the blockers can get downfield, set anything for him, that speed will speak for itself. I want to back up real quickly, though, and say – with the Brissett thing, yes, Doug, pat yourself on the back for it. But I did also say that even though I had Brissett on the roster, <laughs> the only way I could see him not making it was if he was traded. And I, I would I not be surprised it. at all. So you guys can all rewind to last week, listen to it. I'm patting I, myself on the back for that one, I, I do, I do remember that conversation. I'll give you some credit for that. But another thing, too, and this just came to mind, and I know we're going a little bit over, over what we thought we were going to do for this topic, but – why not just send a guy out there and just bear catch it every time? Why not just do that? They're, they're not a team that relies on big plays on special teams. They're, granted, they, they preach having – they have plenty of special teams guys on there. You can name five or six of them. But why not just have a guy go out there and bear catch it no matter what? So the difference between big play, though, they don't go for the big plays, but they do go for the consistent plays. They've always had punt returners who find a way to get you five – six, seven, eight yards, and that's better than going backwards and fumbling do you and taking the, a fair catch. Do you remember the last time – I, I serious question. Do you remember the last time that there's ever been a, a kick or punt return for a touchdown by a Patriots player? Because if I had to think, it's probably Brandon Tate. Um, I believe Deion Lewis took one back, right? Oh, it could be Deion Lewis too. But that's, that's my point. This isn't a team like the Bears when they had Devin Hester. They aren't hoping that he breaks a big play every time and goes to the house with it. The, the I mean, I guess we bring in playoffs, right? Playoffs would be Deion Lewis. Okay, but my point is, is that the Patriots are smart more than they are explosive. So why not make the smart play, send a random guy out, you fair catch it, you have almost a 0% chance, unless someone cheap shots you, of, of getting hurt. You catch it, boom, let's go. Kick return, you have multiple guys. You can have Deion Lewis, you can have – uh, Rex Burkhead, you could have Dorsett, you could have wh- whoever you want. But for, for Or the other thing, just send Danny Mandola up there because I don't see a, a value for him. Because <laughs> I, I don't know, but I just think that they really didn't solve their problem with punt return, and I just don't know what their game plan is. I'm so, throwing Amandola out there every time. That's my answer to it. No, that's it, if you want a purpose on this team, Danny, go do that. That's it. So I, I don't know. But the other thing, I want to point out one more trade to you. One more trade, because they did a, a few trades this weekend. I love this trade, especially if they're able to get him beyond the season. The Patriots went and, and, and actually they made two trades with the Seahawks over the weekend. They traded Justin Coleman for a seventh-round pick. Then the next day, they go and trade for Cassius Marsh, who I, I like quite a bit, actually. They traded back that seventh-round pick plus a fifth-round pick for him. Um, and that's a guy going into his contract year, too. So you have to think that the Patriots value him quite a bit. Um, I believe he had three and a half sacks last year. It's just a loaded defensive uh, defensive end uh, group for them. Now that they acquired Sheldon Richardson and they have Frank Clark, um, they have Michael Bennett, uh, they, they didn't need Marsh. So I, I'm interested to see him quite a bit. Do, do you know anything about him? What, what are your thoughts on him? So the things that I do like about him is that he has experience on a winning team. The Seahawks are a very good, good 
franchise very good. Defense, their defensive line is excellent. Yes, there was a log jam for him there, but he still saw time out there. And I think that speaks for itself. He has a long body, so he's about like six foot four, I believe, but he's thin. So he's not going to really overpower tons of guys, although he is fairly strong. But he's just a feisty defensive end. He tries to get involved. Um, I'm, I have just some of his like career stats pulled up right now. I mean, three sacks, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, 40 tackles. And even, he's, he hasn't started much, obviously, but he gets into games, and they have him in the rotation. And I think that's what the Patriots are trying to build, is have a stable of defensive ends and defensive linemen that they can just swap in and out, and there won't be really a drop-off between anyone. They want a level playing field everyone. And each guy will have his own skills that he brings to the table. And I think Marsh fits in perfectly. And the contract year for him helps out a ton. I mean, the guy's going to be playing for big money. Yeah, definitely. And I'm hoping that they pull, like, a Deion Lewis thing. Maybe they – you know, I'm not saying Marsh is going to come in and get, like, 10 sacks. But he's going to be a guy, I think, who's a candidate for, like, that four to six range where that's just as valuable because they really didn't have a guy like that last year besides, I think, Chris Long, really. And I Trey would rather Carter, have I, – I totally agree with you. I'd rather have – like four or five guys who are getting between four and six sacks than one guy who's getting 18 because it's so much more of a threat of a defense being able to put out a bunch of guys getting one job done. And, and no drop off. This isn't a situation where they're looking for the next Chandler Jones who can get double digit sacks. They're just looking for guys who can fill a role and make it so that no matter who you have in there, you're able to get that same sort of production. I think that's what they got in Marsh. And they have the one guy – I mean, they still have Trey Flowers, who's your marquee pass rusher still that can line up anywhere. So just adding the guys around him who continue to be threats for three, four, five, six sacks throughout the year, is it's actually a great formula to use. Yeah, definitely. And there's another trade that the team made besides the Marquise Flowers deal. Um, they went and they traded, I believe, a sixth-round pick or seventh-round pick in 2019 to the Lions, Bob Quinn, for Johnson Batamosi. Um, hoping to great move. Great, Great move. Special teamer, fast, excellent core special teamer guy. And, he, and he's a guy who actually got a lot of reps last year at cornerback. Yep. So he comes in as, their depth as number five. Yeah, he's the number five cornerback for them. I don't think he'll see the field a lot because they use a lot of safeties. They use Harmon quite a bit. But if anything, he's a gunner. He's a guy. More promising than Cyrus Jones at cornerback. More, exactly. I think he offers more. He's in a contract year as well. You have a low-round pick for him. But this team is not about making big returns on special teams. They're about stopping anything from happening. And the more talented guys they have on special teams, like Flowers, Slater, King, Ebner, Batamosi, they're going to have guys that are going to form a formidable special teams unit that the Patriots are really just going to dominate all three phases, like they've done in the past, but even more so this, this season. I think they've really addressed it which, like I said, Flowers, Marsh can probably play special teams. I think he is a core special teamer. Uh, Banamosi, you know, and, and then the other guys as well that they have. So it's interesting to see. So that's enough about the, the roster itself. Not a whole lot of surprises. Wheeling and dealing as usual. They, they formed the practice squad. Glad to see they got uh, DJ Foster on the team. You know, surprising he didn't get wa- uh, claimed on waivers, but good to see as well because we both hoped he would make the roster. Now let's talk to the issue at hand. Two days to go from this recording, we have the NFL season opener, and we see the reigning Super Bowl champions, the Patriots, at home versus the Kansas State Chiefs, which you mentioned at the top of the broadcast, a very tough team, which they are. I think they're one of the bigger threats in the AFC to to the Patriots. Now, 
people brought up, yes, they faced them in the playoffs and they, they did really well. The last time the Patriots played them in the regular season was the game that everybody thought, is this the end? Is this the end? I remember where I was. I was I think I was a junior in college at the time. But the, the, the Chiefs steamrolled over the Patriots. I think they went on actually – I think they won the Super Bowl that year, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. That was the year that they beat the Seahawks. Yep. So they went on and, and won the Super Bowl, but obviously that's the last time they played them. Some things to keep in mind, the Chiefs, I think, have a strong defense. They have some older pieces, but some younger pieces as well. Um, Eric Berry, Chris Jones up front. They have um, – help me out. Marcus that, Peters. Thank you, Marcus Peters. I was thinking, who's that cornerback for them? But um, they have some guys there. And then their offense, gone through some changes. Alex Smith's still a quarterback. They've made some additions to their offensive line. Travis Kelsey has proven to be a, a top tight end in this league. But they released their number one wide receiver over the offseason. And they just lost their top running back to injury for the entire season, Spencer Ware. Except for a knee injury, I think, in game three of the preseason, he's gone. They're hoping that rookie running back Kareem Hunt out of Toledo will lead them to a good season. A- anything in particular stand out to you about this Chiefs team that the Patriots are going to – maybe a strength versus a Patriots weakness that they're going to have to keep an eye out for in this game, which I, I will say I think the Patriots are still very much favored to win this game, though. Patriots are definitely favored to win this game. They're at home, first game of the year. They're the better team. But there's a lot of people who are discrediting what the Chiefs have done and what they still have. There's some thinking that they might not even be a playoff team right now and that that division will be run by the Raiders and even the Chargers this year. I wholeheartedly disagree with that still. I do too. For many of the reasons that you were saying. They have a very good defense still, and they have a very good offensive line. They know how to control the line of scrimmage pretty darn well. And Andy Reid is also the master of creating offense with guys that you would never expect to really create offense with. He's never needed – true superstars to do a whole lot. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't have one true superstar right now in Tyreek Hill, but the fact that they don't have Jerry Macklin, I shrug and say, whatever. It doesn't really matter to me. I don't think Macklin was doing a whole lot anymore, especially with the Chiefs. Chris Conley as your number two, is that scary? Absolutely, it's scary if you're the Chiefs. But he's (laughs) tall. He's tall. He can make plays here and there. Who knows? But you still have Travis Kelsey. And I don't think the drop-off between Spencer Ware to Kareem Hunt is really going to be that different. I think Hunt has a lot of skills. So one of the areas that I'm most worried about in this, and I wouldn't say really worried, but I'd say like mildly concerned, is the Chiefs do have a very good offensive line. If Alex Smith can just kind of hang back there and be Alex Smith and distribute the ball to his guys without any pressure or anything coming towards him, it's going to get annoying, and we're going to have a lot of those same feelings that we had going back to last year during the first eight weeks of the year. I was like, where's the pass rush? This team stinks. There's no pass rush. I don't think it's necessary to beat these Chiefs, but I would just be prepared to watch an offensive line that can control the line of scrimmage. In the run game, it might be different because the big boys know how to penetrate and everything, but pass rush it could be a struggle because they have a good O-line. Yeah, and the thing about, you, like you said, if you give Alex Smith time to just sit back there, he'll make a play. Not a big play. He'll make a play. He'll get those first downs. He'll get those those short yard situations. Because the thing is with Alex Smith, for all the, the crap that people give him uh, about, you know, his low offensive stats or, or just his style of play as a game manager, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He actually has over the past two seasons 
only 15 interceptions, which I think is lower than I think like James Winston had all last season. So he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I think he, he's been one of those lower on, on the on the stat sheet at the end of the season. On the lower end of the, the stat sheet for interceptions, he's usually always there. So that this is something that stands out to me. I will say you said Al, uh, Andy Reid is, is good about creating offense for a superstar. I have to disagree with you a little bit because if you think about it, when he came in, he had Jamal Charles at running back. Now, granted, he didn't have him for the majority of the last two seasons. I'll admit that. But before that, Jamal Charles was a superstar. In Philly, he had Brian Westbrook for the majority of it. He made Brian Westbrook. Whatever you want to say about that. Plus, he had T.O. at points. He had Macklin at times. He's had good players. Don't get me wrong. He's had good players. I think he. I'm not saying that, I'm not going to sit here and say that he has not. He's been able to create offense without superstars. I'm not saying every single year he's a superstar, but there has certainly been players that have qualified. But the other thing too, I'll mention, he's not very good at time management. I know it's a big joke. He stinks but at time management. He does. He does. Don't don't get him in a high pressure situation late in games because he'll choke when it comes to what play to pick when to spike it, when to call a timeout, or, or whatever the case is. But this team is not is not anything to whatever you want to call it. They're not a team to scoff at. This is a team that can be very dangerous. I think they've won double-digit games in three of Andy Reid's four seasons at, at head coach there. This is a team that's usually a playoff threat every year. I think that they're going to be toe-to-toe with the Raiders at the end of the season. I think the Chargers will finish three. And I mentioned this last night on, on a Twitter rant. The Broncos are finishing last this season in the AFC West. We, it's, it's, except for Broncos fans, I, I think it's pretty obvious. But that's beside the point. Take that, John Elway. Take that. Yeah, yeah, take that. Um, but, um, no, the Chiefs team is not a, a, a team to scoff at. Um, they find a way to win games between a combination of their offense coming through and their defense always being stagnant. So it'll be interesting to see. I guess to sort of sign off on this, I want to see what your score prediction is. Let's do score predictions. Uh, we'll try to do this for every single game this season. Let's see who can get the most right at the end of the season. So I'm going to give you first shot. What do you think is the score prediction for this game on Thursday? Oh, boy. Give me the tough question right away. Uh, I think that the key to this game is that Malcolm Butler can actually match up with Tyreek Hill, who the Chiefs are going to try to use in a million different ways. And I think that leads to a lot of defensive success for the Patriots because they have the personnel to shut down any of the options that the Chiefs try to go with. That doesn't mean they're not going to score at all, though. So I'm going to give a Patriots victory, and I'm going to go with a score of 27 to 18. Okay, 27 to 18. So Throwing you- that out there. Weird number, 18. Weird number. Uh, I'm just, just, I'm just curious. When you say 18, is it just for a random number's sake? Or do you actually think that the Chiefs don't score any touchdowns? I think they score touchdowns, but I think they have to start, you know, going for two-point conversions, whatever. Okay. You know, because they would need that two-point conversion. Got a twenty-seven-twenty. I'm talking about late scores okay. right now. Right. That makes yeah, that yeah. makes sense because you know you think about it, that could be six field goals right there. So no, they'll score a touchdown definitely. Okay, that, I think so too. I will say because I really have high hopes for this team's offense. I will say thirty-four to twenty, and I don't think it's ever close. I know two touchdowns may seem like it's not a blowout necessarily, but I think it never stays close. So I'm going to say 34-20 
you say 27-18. We both have the Patriots winning yeah. this. And I agree. I think it's a. I think it's Patriots in total control. Chiefs, you know, get a late score or whatever. Go for two. Just see what happens. Nothing happens. Patriots on the clock out. But um, yep. So obviously, less than 48 hours from now, we finally have regular season football. If you haven't done your fantasy drafts, get on that because you don't have much time left. Like I told Lee, I, I have one tomorrow two, night. <laughs> you have one tomorrow night. I had two tonight. So um, be sure to get on that get, draft as many papers as you can. It's going to be a, a great year for them. But until then, until next time, next week, where we preview week two, myself, you can follow me on Twitter at DMORENFL. You can follow Lee on Twitter at Lee Schechter. Be sure to check us out on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Locker underscore Room Guys. Uh, until next time, though, this is Doug and Lee signing off, and we are the Locker Room Guys. Mm-hmm.